What's up, people? Will Clark here. Hope you're all doing well and keeping safe out there. So on this show, I have two guys from Chicago. One is called John Curley and the other is called Joe Calderon. They are both huge parts of the institution club spy bar in Chicago. Um, also, they run parties all over the city. John is an old, old timer. Um, found out that he actually had a big part in uh, Cashmere's Percolator, also now Green Velvet. Um, but yeah, this podcast was really interesting. We kind of covered a load of topics from back in the day, what Chicago used to be like, to current situations going on with coronavirus and also the situations going on in the south side of Chicago and all the protests and everything else that's kind of going on right now. Hope you enjoy it. And without further ado, John Curley and Joe Calderon. And we are live. John Curley, Joe Calderon. How's it going, guys? What's happening? Going well. I'm good. How's uh how's Chicago right now? I'm currently in the UK and we've had the most insane weather uh today and yesterday, and it seems like we're gonna get a heat wave, which is kind of nice for sunny England. Yeah. Uh so you made it back. I thought you were still in Detroit. I didn't know that. Because um, last time the three of us were together, it was at the Funky Brunch, I believe. Yeah. Oh, right before the pandemic hit. Did Joe, but were you it was, there? It was the last uh, we did in Chicago before Chicago just got shut down. Joe never turns up to my shows anymore. <laughs> like, he doesn't turn up to... The last time I actually saw Joe was probably two years ago. Walking down, what's the avenue that, that I saw? Walking down Michigan Avenue. Actually. Michigan Ave. I was with my dad and I was with one of my friends, and it was the day when I can't remember who who had who couldn't get into America or who kind of like the show cancelled, and you were like, "What the fuck are you doing in Chicago? Can you play at the club tonight?" <laughs> and I yeah. like it's the first weekend off I had like in ages, and I ended up playing. But Joe doesn't yeah. turn up to my shows anymore, so it's fine. Man. I honestly, I'm looking for John's text combo to me. I had stupidly gone out the night before. Uh, <laughs> I was like, funk- where are you? <laughs> yeah, he's like, yo, Will's asking about you. And I'm like, I just didn't respond. <laughs> I was like, I feel like an asshole. I'm too hungover to leave. No. Um, Funky Brunch but, wasn't yeah. that long ago. No, that was... July. So I, I guess that was... The Sunday, July, uh, March seventh. Yeah, it was the it was the penultimate weekend of the tour. Yeah, and it was also like the last weekend live music happened in Chicago. Oh, Maybe was it? Yeah, because it was St. Patrick's. You, everyone was setting up for St. Patty's Day, yeah. and yeah. that didn't happen. It was really quite surreal. We went from the day before was our Carl Cox show, and then it was your show, and then when it slowly down to like two hundred people, then fifty, then nothing by the following Monday. It's crazy. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely crazy. And it it feels the craziest part about it is it feels like a distant memory right now. Yeah. Right now, it feels like, I mean, so much more has happened outside of just the pandemic since then. So, (sighs) two months ago? Three months. Three months ago? I honestly, the longest three months in like, I mean, obviously the pandemic, but to John's point, like, it's like every week there's a new thing going on in the world that's like bigger than the last week. Did you just see the earthquake that just happened in Mexico? 
I did. I saw the video. Do you see the video yeah. of the ground? Crazy. Oh, what, crazy. Like, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck is actually going on? I don't really know, but we're we're still alive and kicking, which is a good thing. Yeah, look, it's it's crazy. If anybody isn't uh, watching YouTube right now, wow. then go and watch because Joe's no. showing the 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 uh, ground in Mexico. I saw I, I saw the building move. One of my friends just sent a video of like the buildings moving, and it was just like it was almost like it was on water. I've never really seen an earthquake, but it was almost like it was like a jet, uh, like a waterbed, and it was just like moving back and forth. It's kind of crazy. What, what natural disasters do you guys have over uh, <laughs> by you? Nothing. We're you like, guys have nothing. We have everything. Yeah, we're like super lucky. So I don't know if you guys have been over here, but we're known to have really bad weather. But really bad weather is nothing like bad weather in Chicago or Detroit or in the Midwest that we're used to when it's the winter. Like our bad weather, it probably gets to like minus five degrees C. We may have snow once a year, but it melts by the end of the day. It just rains a lot here and people just like to moan about the weather. So realistically, we're pretty lucky. It's, it's pretty easy to live here. So, and the crazy part, like relating obviously back to the music industry is like, John, how nuts is it trying to book out shows during the winter in the Midwest? Well, things change like almost daily. The amount of information that's coming in and then it's lots of misinformation too. Like just today I heard, or maybe yesterday that Trump was going to uh, put the Knicks on all european work visas so i don't know what that means for you know so you should have stayed here yeah so i i one of my friends she texted me was like what visa have you got and i was like nearly all artists have o1 or o2s um which i i don't know what it means but it, that's what we, <laughs> that's what we get um but the ones that, that trump's banned is the h and the j visas and the h and the j is for healthcare workers and um food like catering people so like chefs and things like that which is strange but i guess and don't quote me on this but i guess the reasoning behind it is probably because there's so many unemployed people in america that they'd rather employ americans than have anybody foreign come into the country to so you will be able to come back soon then <laughs> i dude i don't know because i i just had i had a show booked in vegas for fourth of july and it didn't get cancelled and it hadn't been cancelled and it was like the only show that was kind of holding on by the skin of its teeth and i found out yesterday that it's been cancelled um so i'm everything's i'm supposed to be playing juarez in august and that's probably it's probably not going to happen um i don't think mexico is in the best of places right now uh and then the other show was in like colombia and and that's definitely not going to happen um so yeah i think i think it's probably going to be october till till shows are back for me what about you guys in uh in let's, let's kind of cut it back a little bit and like <laughs> how all of this how how so you guys run the world's famous spy bar in Chicago, which 
I didn't know it had been open since 1995. Yeah, right? what, 25, yeah, 25 years, yeah. Have you guys had it for that whole time? Or how's, how's that, where, where do you guys come involved with that? So Spy Bar, like many clubs that have been open that long, have gone through various different incarnations. It wasn't the type of place it is now, yeah. back when it opened. It was more like a VIP bar with whatever tables and stuff like that. And then it sort of morphed into what it is now, maybe 10 years into its incarnation. Yeah. So that being said, um, right now, what spy bar has going forward, maybe it's just a little bit smaller capacity. Yeah. Um, I mean, it definitely has a staying power. It's been around a long time. People want to see it come back, but once again, you know, you're, there's, a real fine line that you're walking when you try and put a bunch of people together, especially in a closed environment. Yeah. And that's particularly challenge challenging for us when it comes to a place like Spybar, because, you know, they're actually just, they just announced today or like a couple of days ago. Um, but they're just, the information is just coming out with all the rules and regulations yeah. that we can open up come Friday. And when, when I say we, I mean, all indoor places can open up with either 25% capacity or 50 people. It just can't be over 50 people. So, and there's other rules. There's no loud music. There's no, no loud, loud music allowed because they don't want people getting close to talk to each other. So technically spy bar could open on Friday as a bar, not a nightclub. So to, right. to point though, like, yeah, spy bar has been open for 25 years it it hasn't always been like the underground haven that you know has that real thick vibe and it's dark yeah. there's no lights um john you've been working with spybar for what man since probably like 2015 years Damn. and you've probably. been in the nightlife industry though i mean as early I'll as it twice that <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, John was the first guy to bring in every name to Chicago before Spy Bar even. Like, the story I always tell, um, so I, I got brought into the Spy Bar family after the first festival venture with Wavefront Music Festival. Yeah. Um, I think I worked in exchange for VIP tickets the first year. And then uh, they liked what I did, so they brought me into the, the Spy Bar fold. But one of the funniest uh, moments was meeting Curly and learning from curly his history in the industry and him telling me he's like oh like just casually that he was the guy who broke the percolator and that uh cashmere had come in no AKA had come in and said uh to the club he was djing and said hey you should play this and, and i did john, <laughs> and john played it that's crazy and, and flash forward like 10 years later i worked uh on the marketing team for BPM festival when it was in Playa del Carmen, yeah. John, I, uh, I, it was the first time I had met cash green velvet and I asked him, I told him where I was from Chicago. We had a laugh. And then I said, you know, John Curley. And I was expecting Curly's story to be totally bullshit to be like one of those, like <laughs> one of those myths that, you know, you don't really, whatever. And I said, I was like, Oh yeah, I work with John Curley and cash goes, John Curley. He's like, you know, he's the first person that ever had the percolator on vinyl. And I'm like, it's true. <laughs> well, that was a different time back then. I mean, I was going to say like that, that back then I want to, I want to get, I want to know what it was. 
let's let's kind of cut cut the future for right now. But I want to know what Chicago was like back then because I like Chicago House is one of the reasons why I would say. 70% of the house music industry is here. Um, and I know we kind of, in Europe, we kind of took everything from America and kind of just cared it like our little baby. But it kind of came from Chicago, Detroit, and New York. Um, and obviously we, we've all got friends from back then, Cash including that, and Dion and... Gene was Gene around. Gene was around then, wasn't he? He was like maybe what I would consider to be uh, the second, second wave second. Yeah. after that. Yeah, yeah. Because he was on, you know, Cash Cash's label. I can't remember. I'd have to ask him when his first single was, but he he goes pretty far back for yeah. sure. So, so what was it like in Chicago back then? I guess this. I guess we're talking. Are we talking early, late eighties, early nineties? Carly could take yeah. you back even further. No, go back even further, John. Well, no, for me, it was started late 80s. So, uh, but like I, I have to, it's, I have to like paint, paint a more full picture than that because I was not around for the real inception of it, which really took place in the black and gay clubs, like yeah. the warehouse and where Ron Hardy used to play. Yeah. Um, so it was really quite segregated. And when I came in, that was still the case. The underground was just the underground. There was no, I mean, there was, this is well before the digital age. So really the only place you'd ever hear anything like this would be a nightclub. And I just happened to be in the right place at the right time when he came in, because if you wanted to have his records played at that time, he would have to go, you know, and, and give them to the DJs who are playing in those venues. And I was playing in a, it was a teen venue called Medusa's and it was amazing. It was broke music of all ilks, everything like you play everything back then, at least, at least at this club. We, and I think in a lot of them too, you know, you'd play everything from, you know, house to, to rock, to disco, to industrial. And it, it was just a really very different time back then. Yeah. And they don't even have teen clubs anymore. So. Also, so well, can you of, imagine somebody coming up to you and being like, hey, you should play this in the middle of your set. And you I know, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going to take that and put that on right now. Yeah, I can't, I, say was, that, I can't say that's how it happens nowadays, but I kind of like I like the vibe. I was watching the other day, I was watching the Marshall Jefferson kind of short film that he did on kind of house music. And there was a lot that kind of spoke about Chicago and it i i it kind of it's it's obviously i'm way too young for that to but it, it obviously i think it's something that we as producers and promoters and club owners and everybody we always just look back um and always are like i wish it wish it was like how it used to be but i guess it's like was it as good as they actually say it was <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think you'd necessarily want want to be around back then because, in 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 some sense, like the guys that were doing it were pioneers in the sense that they their stuff they didn't see the fruits of their efforts for years and years, if at all. Yeah, so, yeah, of course. Um, 
you know, you could just pop up, be an artist. Like it was one thing that we did have going for us. And again, I stress that this was, you know, I was playing their records, but the movement was really happening in an underground place. Uh, It was like almost 100% African-American made music from Chicago. And these guys uh, were, you know, really doing stuff in their own little bubble that, was super creative, like the likes of a movement, which happens, I'm sure at different places at different times, like at punk or whatever yeah. in, in certain marketplaces, especially since there was no you know globalization back then. But one great thing about Chicago was that it had a radio station that used to play mix shows and there was the hot mix five and they would play a lot of their own music and all the, the other guys. And so it would get broadcast on the FM dial in a way that, it was unprecedented. You know, you'd never hear stuff like that on the FM radio. If you look back to what was charting, you know, yeah. in the mid to late eighties. So, I mean, to get back to your question, do, would you want to be back then? Maybe as a patron, it's kind of one of these things like, Hey, I'd like to yeah. go back in time and see Miles Davis the first time he played, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, but yeah. would you want to be an artist back then? No. I don't know. Right. You, I mean, I, I bet, I bet some of these guys who are making the music would tell you otherwise. Yeah, because we all see it, but there was there, there was no real money in the mu- in making music then, and then you kind of got to the point where, like, I even like like Cash, I'm pretty sure he like signed a major record label with with um, Green Velvet or Cashmere, and I can pretty much guarantee that every record label just screwed everyone over to the to the extent where no one made any money anyway. Um, the number the number of like. It's, it's so shitty and terrible, but like the number of DJs that like old school househead DJs that I've run into as Uber drivers, like it's astonishing. Where yeah. like I'll talk to them, they'll be playing like an old house record, and I'm like, I've never heard. Oh, do we oh, lose John? We lost John. Um, I'll literally be like, I've never heard this before. Like, this is amazing. What is this? And they're like, Oh, I, I made this in like 1982. And it's like, oh shit! Like this is this would now like take off. This would be like a hot release. Yeah, it's crazy because uh, I can't. I think it was was it. I always this is really bad. I always forget his name. Uh, is it Chippy? Yeah. Uh, Chippy came to the Funky Brunch, and yeah. I'm just like, this dude is literally like the one of the founders of everything of house music and is like kind of it's sad it's kind of like he's not not really um he's not part of anything really or not he's part of something he's remembered but it's like did he really earn any money if that makes sense yeah Um, totally if look at like even dage yeah like you know, that track, Kanye just, like, remade uh, that track with, like, her lead vocals on it. But do you think 90% of the public knows who Daje is, even though yeah. you might know her songs, you might know her tracks? You're, I can almost guarantee to that point, you know, she's not seeing the reward. And granted, it's a Cash track, but... That's what I love about Cash, though, because he always brings Daje out. Um, yeah, that's true. Those, like, Cash keeps things very tight. Um which is amazing. Yeah, we, Here we go. We did um, 
we did anytime soul clap comes out with us and wants to play in Chicago, they always uh, request like the classic Chicago guys to back them up. Yeah. So did John, who would we do at the last soul clap party, the outdoor one? We had Dajay, we had. Oh yeah. The E-Funk house of E-Funk. Yeah. It was uh, Derek Carter, Mark Farina, Dajay. Um, I think Charlie couldn't make it that day. Uh, Simone, who's a local artist, she's great. Um, oh, Underground. Glenn Underground, right? So yeah. that was a cool collection of you know house originals. I mean, and those are guys that really I grew up with. I mean, Dajay used to play her music, and then all of it was produced by you know, Curtis. I used to play it all every single weekend, like all of that stuff, yeah. you know, and that was bread and butter. And it's actually quite amazing how on top of the world that man is still to this day. Yeah. Curtis is, if anybody doesn't know who we're talking about, we're talking about green velvet. Um, he's just on another level and it's been really nice. It's been really nice to see actually, because I think, in everyone's careers, we have our ups and downs, right? And no matter what we're doing. And I think there was a point where, and I can't, this is just from me from an outside. I don't know if you know what I mean. I've not spoke to him about this directly, but there was a point in his career where there wasn't really anything going on. And just before we lost you, John, um, Joe and I were talking about how it's kind of like sad, how the like creators of this genre that's so widely, world, worldwide kind of known is just kind of, don't earn any money from it if you know what I mean or and kind of still don't have a career or don't have like anything from that apart from just memories and the thing with with Curtis he's he's built this insane following um and he's kind of it's just going from strength to strength and to the point where he's selling thousands of tickets every weekend and it's so nice to see somebody just keep just keep pushing on and keep pushing on yeah. yeah, and it's amazing. I mean, it's 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 definitely something from just a music as a whole stand up. Like every genre of music, like has its roots in the black community, yeah. and the fact that so often it ends up not actually benefiting the creators of it. You know, like rock and roll music, for example. Like, yeah, the the roots of rock and roll are from the black community, but blues. you know, yeah that divide is, is constantly there in music. And it's, it's, that's why I always appreciate Like I was saying earlier, the soul clap guys for wanting to bring yeah. in the originals and give them a platform and make sure that, you know, people don't forget where, where the music started and how we got to where we are today and the communities and people involved. Yeah. Cause I know Barkley when Claude Von Stroke does the dirty by parties in, in, in Chicago, he always kind of tries to bring. Yeah. Oh geez. I think Derek Carter was at the one that I played at. Which obviously we all know Derek is kind of a legend. Um, is he still doing his party? It uh, is it Soundbar that he does his? You're thinking of Smart Bar, Smart and bar, right sorry. now no one's doing any parties. No, <laughs> but, but you know what I mean. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. He's still a resident there. I think he plays there. You know, one thing I, I love about Derek is he's done something that I think it's it's super rare yeah. he's a traveling superstar by all rights uh but he also has deep roots here he plays yeah. here in chicago a lot and it's 
and, and people love seeing him, especially at that venue on that night. Uh, and he's got both worlds, which is great because I don't know. I got, I don't, a lot of people will think that touring is nice and glamorous and it sounds like fucking shit to me (laughs) in and out of planes and hotels, you know, that would, that would get old fast. (laughs) Yeah. I also can't imagine totally we're all over the place, but I think that's fine. Um, well, the fact that you do it sober, I feel like a, I don't understand because I hate people when I'm sober and they're not. And B, I couldn't imagine traveling that much, though, being hungover. Like, I'm just not a person when I'm hungover. Obviously, as I talked about how I've missed yeah. the last was due to hangover. So, like, me and flights wouldn't get along. I I haven't. I can happily say I've never flown hungover because um, I haven't drank for so many years. But I I can't even imagine. I Like, Justin Martin... I know he used to party. He's sober now, but he used to party hard. And yeah. I've had like many, many of conversations with him. And he's like, dude, I missed my flight. I've got to yeah. buy another flight. And it's like, I couldn't even imagine just like having to, having to wake up being that hungover and then be like, oh fuck, I missed my flight. Yeah. But, and then have to deal with all of that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But going but back also- Going back, oh, going back to the uh, the Derek Carter thing, though, I I think I totally agree. It's he's he's kind of nailed something that most people don't. Where in their hometown they can play, and people don't get bored. You know, it's funny because Derek Carter is is the most asked for artist by other artists coming in town. I can't tell you. How often um, I get asked by other artists to have Derek play with them. Um, And most of the time I really, I don't really entertain it because he'd be like, no, no thanks. (laughs) (laughs) But he has a packed like weekly party. Dude, he, He doesn't definitely doesn't need to be playing just, anybody's party at this point you know what i mean but it just goes to show you that um you know the the brand is strong worldwide and there are other others like them too i get asked a lot of you know for paul johnson and and yeah. so on and so forth i mean it's actually really encouraging to see um some uh you know some of these guys have been working at for so long uh touring all the time and just doing really well i mean they're in demand yeah for sure you know, it's funny. And some of the guys are in, you know, in demand in such a way that they spend most of their time in Europe. Yeah. 100%. Um, like I can pretty much guarantee all of the, like the original guys that created the genre have a huge kind of following in Europe. And I'm not too sure why that is, why America just, I think it's just the culture in America kind of just went, it got taken away with like hip and hip hop and rock um, and kind of w- with no major radio station kind of pushing it um, after like the early nineties, it just, it's just game over. And with Europe, like we, it, it, in England, we're super lucky with the BBC. We have Friday nights every weekend is all house house dance electronic music 
um, with Annie Mac, Pete Tong. It's just constantly. And then you have the obviously the essential mix. And then you go to Ibiza and you have Ibiza Global Radio, and you've got radio stations all over Europe playing house music all day long. Um, and you just don't get that in America. So I guess that's radio is the kind of the start of the education of dance music if it's not in a club. Um, and especially like what, from from what you were saying, John, back in the day, you're only going to go to the club if you're in a very small minority or if you're in a very small niche. Um, and that just, I, I, and I still think that's where kind of America kind of falls down a little bit where there's just seems to be a little bit more of a culture. However, in defense of America, I find a lot of the kids that go to the shows are kids. I don't really like using that word, but fuck it. Um, they are a lot more open to different genres of music. Whereas I find in the UK and parts of Europe, it's a lot more clicky and it's like, well, I only like this and I only like that. Whereas in America, you'll go to a festival and you'll get somebody that goes listen to Seth Troxler and then go listen to Tiesto. And you're like, this just doesn't make yeah. sense in my head. And I'm sure you guys see it with shows that you put on where you'll see just regulars just turn up to because they, they like different music, really. Just don't think we get that so much in the UK. So I think though with festivals and, and John, correct me if you disagree, but it has shifted to more of like this headliner culture yeah. where like you, you might not necessarily turn up like when people would go clubbing, like they didn't care who was going to play. They just, it could be all locals. They were yeah. there just for the music, whatever. I mean, John DJ booths, when were those, I mean, where was the DJ booth location at some of those original venues? Well. Like it was physically at the back of the club. Yeah, I mean, the it's it's totally true. And, you know, that comes with upsides and downsides. Um, I mean, I used to play at this nightclub called Shelter, and it was perched up way high, and you had to, like, climb a ladder to get up there. And there was this big dance floor, and it was, it was very much a part of the, you know, the venue was the music, but the DJ wasn't supposed to be right there and seen by everybody per se. And now it would like, this is before the, the days of just holding up your cell phone and, and filming whoever's performing. Yeah. It was, it was more of like a dance vibe back then. Uh, and, and not to say that it's not the case here, you can find it for sure, but there's no question that the headliner festival culture is also permeated into the, the venues as well. Yeah. Um, which is why one of the reasons why I find it really challenging and fun when you create an event to try and do it with more elements than, you know, just a headline name. Um, although, you know, the, you know, so you, so you really take like a holistic view to producing events where, yes, you do have people on a bill that have their own draws, but you're also considering like what the place looks like and how it feels and how it's set up any, yeah. anything from the decor to like, the location and so on and so forth uh, but it's not the same in that respect at all there's no question about it I, I remember once going into uh man this is a long time ago into sure their corporate headquarters here the people make the microphones yeah. and we were pitching to get some you know some of our events sponsored and they're like djs 
they, like in their minds, they were just like the guy you hire for a wedding, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. we had to explain it to them like this, like they're real time orchestrators and blah, 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 you know, so it's, it's definitely changed quite a bit. Yeah, definitely. I think this, this kind of brings it back a little bit to, to now. And I've spoken to a few promoters and a few mates that throw shows and a few other DJs. And I think with this, with, with COVID and all this bullshit, I think this actually could be, and correct me if if you think I'm wrong, but I think this could be the start of potentially like local shows kind of coming back and people just go into a night, if you know what I mean, and clubs being like, okay, so this night, we're this is our own night. We're going to curate it with DJs. We're not going to put headliners on. What's your thoughts on that? Do you think that that would just that'd be short lived or do you think that'd be something that will kind of grow and kind of turn into something? Cause we all know that everyone wants to see the headliners, but it's down to the clubs and the promoters to build something. But of course everyone needs to make money. So it's like, it's that catch 22. What's, what's your thoughts on that? I think that it'll be short lived in the long run. Um, because the one thing that's changed that, and it's irreversible is just globalization. Yeah. So what you're listening to and where you're getting it is from everywhere. It's not just from the city that you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there will always be a place for what I like to call industry nights. I yeah. mean, that word gets used very loosely, but I would call queen one. It's just, it's got a format and it's got its residents and they play it's seldom. Do they ever like showcase anybody outside of their own residence? Yeah. And I think any healthy market probably has at least, you know, one, two or a few of those, a handful of them. And it's always been like that in Chicago. In Chicago, uh, there's always been, you know, I remember like the Boom Boom Room was a famous one, like and with with this with their own residents and it was and then and going further back to, to shelter. And then and you get far enough far, far enough back, uh, it was just that. You know, like, but it was only in the underground clubs. Would you hear underground music? You know, all the other clubs were just bars and live venues. I mean, I think the year was 1995 when actually, no, I mean, the, the first time I remember a DJ being imported to Chicago, it wasn't, it wasn't by me, but it was at shelter as a DJ Kiyoki, Mm -hmm. who is this superstar from New York came from a, a collective called disco 2000. Yeah. And I was like, who is this guy? He just walked him in the booth, you know, and he stopped the music and he just started. It was like the rave days, you know, and yeah. it was. And that had to be 1992 or three. I mean, it was a long time. I, I, I think that uh, Digweed came and played back then as well. Damn. He was one of the first guys to ever come to Chicago from, like from Europe. Like maybe, maybe the first. That's crazy. Yeah, because. But. Go on, carry on. As time goes on, um, you know, and especially with the advent of the digital age, it becomes more commonplace until where we are today. And I don't, I think that will snap back. Um, I don't think that, you know, like the, there'll be a lasting, you know, all the clubs that used to do that are now all something going to be just locals. I doubt that, but yeah. for a while anyway, because I, I've got this thing goes back to what we said at the beginning of the conversation. I got this thing where I would just love, I'd love it to be just about the culture to a certain extent. Um, 
but then you're 100% right because it's not about the culture has changed if you know what I mean and the culture is about uh, putting your phone up and recording stuff and showing all your friends and seeing how many likes you can get on Instagram and don't get me wrong there's an amazing culture that goes along with that with people that love listening to the music um, but it's it's interesting because I've I've got friends that live in Chicago and they're kind of my age now and they're at the point where they're kind of like not going to clubs but they're playing they're like starting their own little parties that are just like vinyl only parties and just doing like really cool little things like that and I think that could move into something a little bit more interesting um yeah I I feel like we've seen that from at least like going from spy bar like that. Well, two different things. Number one, creating the vibe is outside of obviously just like who's playing your venue. Uh, well, that's a big part of it and what the culture is that you're building. Like, like that starts with like your marketing, how you treat your event attendees. What's the experience when you're at the event, yeah. like making it something that's more holistic. Um, and that's where you see a lot of promoters actually kind of fail with it is yeah. they have a space, they book the headliner, they think they have a party yeah. and then, you know, that's the gist of the experience. So we've, you know, outside of spy bar, we've seen that it does need to be something that's a little bit different because people aren't going out to the clubs and that's where yeah. things like the funky brunch came up where it's okay. What can we do on a Sunday afternoon? That's a little bit different, yeah. but fun. Let's throw a party in a, a beer cade yeah. where there's 90s video games and a wall made out of cassettes. And like, I, I, I hear you played a very funky set, Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, where it puts people in a different environment and it gives them something that's a little bit more special. So whether that scales up for the more, you know, headlining type artists, or if that means you're doing that, just for your group of friends. Yeah. Um, that's, that's definitely how, where it's going. I'm definitely seeing an uptick on, uh, just groups of people doing their own thing and, and theming it and stuff in a way I don't actually remember so much before. And then out of that movement, you, I'm seeing a lot of just over the last like five or years or so, uh, small promoters, that will come and inhabit like small spaces and they have yeah. kind of a flavor to them and, and and it's it's really interesting to see so that i think is very encouraging um and i like to think that there's a place for you know everything you know there is definitely a place there will, i think there will always be a place for the spy buyers of the world you know um and at this point you know the range of venues that i work with anyway it does. It starts on the, you know, like smaller and like a spy bar, but it moves up to, you know, all the way up to the, the, the much bigger venues, uh, like yeah. a new one called radius, which uh, it's funny because that was the night before your event yeah. is Carl, Carl Cox, Cox there. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, boom, but that's like a venue that can do 4,000 people in the main room and in the middle, plus you, then there's the festivals, yeah. right? And then in the middle, there's all these kind of experiential type of events that um, it, where the, where it takes place and how it's produced, there's a lot, really wide range. So I think that's encouraging. There's it's not just a one trick pony at this point anymore. Yeah, totally. How much 
do the festivals fuck the clubs or do they not I don't know because uh, I, I I I always see it from a DJ side. If I don't, I don't ever see it from your side of things, and I've always w- wondered like how like it must be like if if I owned a club and a festival comes in to the city, and I know you guys run festivals yourselves as well, um, or have work in curating them. So it's like, do, do, does it take away from the clubs? Or do you think it adds things to the clubs? Or I don't know. I mean, it it definitely there's a, a swell of activity surrounding every festival that's beneficial to the entire city. Totally. I mean, I'm they do yeah they do uh, you know economic impact studies that are pretty broad. Yeah. Uh, that would tell you that that's the case. Now just. You know, having run many different clubs, I can tell you that is the case. Even if we're not participating in a festival, like there's a surge in people yeah. when Lollapalooza is in Chicago, that's undeniable. We, we look totally. forward to these weekends. They're an integral part of, you know, the money that we make. So yeah. um, is there, you know, some politics? There's always going to be some politics in terms of, you know, who <laughs> yeah. goes where and whatnot. But I think it is a very big net positive and the fact that um a place like chicago can stain as many festivals as it does yeah. is a really good thing i mean even a even a festival like riot fest with just rock and roll it, it certainly doesn't take anything away from us if anything you know it's it's I'd a really see. amazing thing to have these in the city you know because because for me obviously living in detroit i've been there three years now and been going there for six seven years six years um and seeing how much i'm sure you guys have seen it if you've been but how much movement festival changes the city over a, a weekend to the point where it literally venues open for like that are never open that may open maybe two three four five times a year and you go to detroit on movement weekend and every venue is open and every venue is packed um and you also get some really interesting lineups and you get some really interesting after parties and things like that. And I think, I think it brings a lot to the cities. Um, 100%. I mean, I think movement, I, I would go a step beyond. I mean, movement is really a, a, a like a part of that city's soul. Yeah. It, for one thing, it developed from Damn something nice. that was produced by the city and kind of went off from there, but it's definitely still very true to Detroit and yeah. the whole techno aesthetic. And as far as having, um, uh, you know, an impact it, it on, you know, the surrounding area, I would definitely say that it goes beyond its borders. 100%. And proof positive is that we're there every year doing after parties along yeah. with, uh, you know, along with the, the PAX, PAX guys. And so we benefit from it as well. So it's, yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, I, I, th- I think that any strong music city has a strong festival circuit. Yeah. Um, I would say worldwide. There, there are challenges in Chicago to pulling stuff like this off. And a lot of it has to do with the laws that exist in terms of licensing and, and just getting things done. Yeah. Um, it's, it's different from, city to city and market to market and region to region, country to country. Totally. I right. mean, 
it's not like Berlin where, you know, you're raving in a warehouse for like three days straight, you yeah. know, or Miami for that matter, you know, but nonetheless, uh, the, you know, the people are here and there. I mean, they come in also from all over the yeah. country for certain, certain, you know, events and just for the city at large. Well, I think, I think, go, go on, Jay. I was just going to say, was movement the first time, but that, when was the first time you were in Detroit? Was that for movement? Or no, was it wasn't. For... It was actually for Grasshopper. I played Grasshopper oh. years ago. Um, and yeah, I kind of, I, it was actually like one of the first clubs I kind of fell in love with in America. Um, yeah. And yeah. And then I just kept on going. I kept on like doing after, but I've still never played movement. Um, <laughs> but I, I play pretty much all the after parties. Um, there's always an after party every year that I play, which is amazing. But for me, that that festival is that festival is talked about worldwide. Um, yeah. It's it's the one festival in America that, with no disrespect to the other festivals, but I think it's really kept true to techno and house and techno and the origins of Detroit and kind of what they've done there. I think it's absolutely beautiful to be fair. And the vibe is always amazing 100%. in the city. It's from, from living there yeah. when you go, when you walk around the city, it's still an up, very up and coming city. It's still a long way for the city to be anything like Chicago or anything like that. Um, but then when movements happening, it feels like you're in a city that's like fully developed and, going on but yeah you still have parties going on all the time and things like that i just hope it doesn't lose that kind of that vibe but i don't think it will because the city was just built on a lot of the city is built on around that festival yeah it's not going anywhere. no definitely (laughs) yeah it was interesting so i went to the moving like four years in a row and then for my nine to five job, I actually was traveling to Detroit every like Sunday through Wednesday, yeah. like during the work week, just throughout the yeah. year for about four months and seeing exactly that, like to your point where like it's, it's when movement's happening in that city, it's like a holy shit moment. Yeah. It's amazing. It's, 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 it's such a nice feeling. Uh, and it's such a shame that it didn't happen this 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 year, like a lot of festivals and all the club parties and stuff. It's such a shame, more so for the city, um, and for the yeah. Baxhow guys. I think it brings so much to the city, which is which is amazing. Um, in Chicago, obviously, it's it's a pretty developed city. Um, well, parts of the city is pretty well developed. Does that? get in your way for like licensing and things like that does that really stop it because i know i don't know when the drinks when do you have to stop serving (laughs) well so there's uh different classes of licenses yeah um and to to do what you know you you'd want to do to be say you know a, a club like spy bar you need a license that allows you to go to four. It gives you an extra hour on Saturdays. Plus you have a PPA, which is a public place of amusement. So you can have like live music and DJs fall under that general rubric. And you'd also, I think, you know, you need a tavern license. You need a bunch of stuff that it's really actually very hard to get nowadays. Yeah. And the prevailing attitude to, to your point is not in my backyard. No, you know, like no alderman, you know, so you get grandfathered in. Uh, you know, you'll notice a, a 
this type of thing happens, for instance, in New York as well. That's one of the cool things about Detroit, but because there's so many uninhabited areas still. And in, in, in Manhattan, it's just not yeah, not a very club-friendly uh, borough. But if you go out to Brooklyn, it's like totally different rules. It's not like that in Chicago, the rules apply you know, across the board within the city borders. So short of going out to a suburb, you know, you're basically at the mercy, you know, of these kinds of licensing permitting, you know, rules and regulations are to do special stuff. It's, but it's definitely doable, but it's not as easy. Cause I, I guess what we found, what I guess I'm pretty sure you guys will agree, but what happens generally is this is a, this happened in New York massively and it's actually happening in Bristol in the UK where a club will open up in a rundown area. The club will then get super popular. Then you'll find restaurants popping up over the place and then you'll find hotels popping up and then you'll start finding uh, real estate people living there and then you'll find that the clubs will get closed down because of noise complaints and and then it's kind of moved on to the next next area and i'm i find at the moment i think i i think it was a couple of months ago um motion in bristol they've been there for years it used to be a skate park um and they're still there but they're somebody's been putting huge amount of planning permission for like houses to be built like very close to it and you're just like it's it's such a shame because you know who's going to win to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, but it's also such a shame for everybody because everyone loses out. Um, does that happen much in Chicago? Uh, and it's, it's kind of the, the story of my club life. I mean, <laughs> you can break it down into epics and every big nightclub went through a phase and then it kind of closed. Now it's interesting that, um, but there's, but it's, I think that's part of a uh, bigger story that it's gentr- gentrification in general. Totally. So if you take a look at a place like Spy Bar, um, when it's in River North and there, I know, event, uh, like I know restaurant owners in River North who were there like for generations and yeah. it was just desolation in River North. If you go back, track back like 30 years. Yeah. Um, when Spybar or before, you know, like, and when Spybar came in, there wasn't a lot going on. And since then, you know, the, the March of, you know, time and brings, you know, it's, it, if you get one and, and then maybe another, uh, you know, places like it, then other stuff starts to come in surrounding it. And it's just a matter of time. Now that said, um, you know, they, you like, you can't just like, tell someone to leave, you'd have to rezone it. And, you know, it's not, it's easier said than done. Yeah. Um, at the same time, it, you know, you're definitely not going to see any other places like it open up in that same neighborhood. Plus yeah. you have to deal with, you know, all, you know, all the political forces and the neighbors and all that stuff. And, and yes, yeah, so if you want to do something, anything like it, you're going to have to move away from these that types area. of places. And I've just seen this happen time, time and time again. It's just, the mid. Yeah, like think about say. what happened in the mid too. The mid, all of a sudden, the West Loop really took off. What is that Fulton Market District really took off, and all of a sudden, it's like, well, condos would work nice here, and then the mid closed. What like a year after that? So, I I guess also let's let's be real here. 
a lot I, I I could be completely wrong, but a lot of the people that run the clubs, do they necessarily own the buildings? Or it's a good point. Because, um so not everybody, yeah. but you do, then you're on your land your own landlord. So that always helps. But then also if you have that money making opportunity where you're in a place where you could sell your building for three million dollars for condos, like shit. Course you can take them up on that if you're well, not I, in I, for the culture. And I think that's the thing as well. And it's like I, I don't blame anyone for bettering their life, especially in America. America's an expensive place to live. Um and especially if you're in the city. So I, I totally get that. But I I think that then just goes back to kind of our current day and how we kind of how it is at this moment in time. It's like how much it actually costs to open the doors of a club like it's expensive as shit i know that just through talking to you guys and talking to other other club owners and things like that and it's it's like how how are you guys surviving during this time as a club and as a promotion company and all of that what's what's kind of or is it literally just skin of the teeth and just hoping that things kind of come back to good well it's it's a good question. For one thing, I think, you know, I don't want to speak for everybody, no, of course. but I, there are certain things that are universal about this situation, which is, for instance, you know, the, the rules of capacity and all that kind of stuff. Um, well, I think we're in new territory, so I don't think anybody really knows what, how it's going to work out. You couldn't have asked a single person be like, Hey, you're, <laughs> You're going to be down to nobody and then 50 people yeah. and they, and they, they can't touch each other or whatever. I mean, it, no, no one would have believed a single word of it. Um, so we're kind of just feeling our way through it. Uh, the, you know, there's no question that a lot of businesses are not going to necessarily make it through. There was, there was um, a and- study about uh, independent, they claim uh, a group of, independent uh, music venues and promoters came out with a study that said up to 90% of the independent music venues could close by year end because of the impact from coronavirus. Cause like uh, the biggest thing that surprised me and I don't necessarily know how this is impacting now, but like insurance for a venue, yeah. like if some drunk asshole falls and hurts themselves, like that's an insurance claim. Yeah. Like, so it's beyond like you're still, still paying your premiums. You're still keeping the lights on. You have rent if you don't know the venue. And for a lot of venues now, it's just like hoping for donations and hoping and doing live streams that, you know, is a way to keep people engaged and keep your brand at the top of it. But at the end of the day, it's not like a source of income. Yeah. Yeah. There's no question about it. I think that the only way out of this, I don't think that there's a, like a silver bullet that makes a club, successful at a quarter of its capacity. You know what right. I'm saying? Um, I, so the, the bottom line is you just kind of have to tough it out and everybody's going to emerge um, in debt with the exception maybe of the very deep pocketed uh, operations, say yeah. like the live nations and what have you. I don't and know, dude. I, guys, I don't know. They, the live nation, I can't, I don't know the full details, but, Live Nation was going to go unless the they got bought. I think five hundred million got invested into them by a Saudi company. Um, I saw that. So, and, and I saw 
that, contracts. Yeah, that's that stock. That stock went down from, I think, from like sixty dollars to like twenty five overnight. That's crazy. Lost billions. That's, that's crazy. Billions. Yeah. You know, I didn't. I didn't mean to single out Live Nation uh, at all. I was just kind of making a point totally. that no, yeah, yeah, definitely. You would have to just ha- have a huge cash reserve yeah. to not come out of this in some sort of debt that you just to dig your way out of and hope that you can get to that, you know, even part. And and that's true. Of, like for everybody, right? Isn't everybody's? This is one thing about the current conditions is that it it affects everybody. Obviously, some people like. You know, like, like Joe, who's a, you know, an IT guy, the marketing <laughs> guy can keep his job. Like, so, yeah. uh, you know, who, I'm sure places like, you know, Zoom and Twitch, their stock just shot up. Yeah. It was great for them, but for the rest of the, you know, for most part, part. So it's really just kind of toughing it out. Um, And it's right. We're right now in the place in the, of this you know, a whole scenario where we're just starting to open up and we don't know. It's particularly hard, however, for, for nightclubs, like any of the places that I work in the sense that if you can't, if you're not supposed to dance and you're not supposed to have loud amplified music, you know, they break it down into phases while you're in the very last phase, you know, like where everything's fine and there's vaccines. So, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it may seem bleak. I mean, i I believe I've been through, you know, a lot over time, but uh, it's going to take a while. I have a feeling before everything is back to normal. Well, I think that's, that's the reason why I asked you, because I totally agree that everyone's, everyone's in this together, right? Like there's, there's nobody that's not been affected by this. Um, And there's something kind of community about that, right? That is kind of beautiful to a certain extent that is, it's not just one person suffering. It's kind of everybody in their own little way and thoughts go out to the people that have like lost family members and things like that. That's absolutely awful. Um, but also let's be honest, clubs are going to be the last thing to be back to good. And, and, and concerts and festivals. Exactly. And I think, I, I think people forget necessarily how it's not, it's not, this isn't about the, the people with the big pockets and the people running the festivals and like the big promoters and things like that. This is about to the, to the cleaners of the festival, to the security of the festival, to the people that are doing work in the bar, to the people that are working in the artist area, to the artists, to everyone. It's, it's a huge society that's just been kind of told you've got to wait. Yeah. Well, and it's because even when we come back, those are the people who are at the most risk. Yeah. You know, those are usually for the most part, like, like it's like that catch 22 of rushing to come back because the staff wants to work. The, yeah, of course. the full team wants to work, but also you're the most at risk. Usually um, you don't have health benefits in this industry or very little, yeah. like it's not, it's, it's weighing the risk of making a livelihood versus having a life <laughs> yeah well <laughs> i think is, i think for me as well it's like uh, i was talking to ryan my manager and we were talking about kind of more so the liabilities like i honestly i'm pretty sure if i get coronavirus i'll be pretty good 
if you know what I mean. And yeah. probably majority of the people at that are coming to the show will be pretty good because it's just been proven that the age the age gaps. But I don't want anyone to come to my show that then catches something at the show. Obviously, you can't prove that, but I don't want to be part of that. And then go and take it to their gran and their grand dies. And I think that's yeah. the thing that I'm struggling with right now is that obviously, like, you see some shows happening in certain places like Florida and <laughs> fucking <laughs> Florida. Um, and you're just like, I'm not too sure if this is responsible, but I also have the other side of it where it's like, I get it. People need to earn money and people need need a living and they need a purpose in life. But there's like, it's that happy medium, which I don't know. I No one knows, I guess. Um, yeah. And it's like, it's like with like 50% capacities or like even 70, like what, I don't, what's your profit margins? What, what are you working at? Is it like 15%? Is it 20%? Like, cause I know restaurants usually run at like four or 5% and they're like, they have to be slammed to be making money. And it's like, I just couldn't even imagine what it's like in a club. Cause I, cause I just don't think there is that. I, I'd say the profit margins are about the same as a restaurant. Yeah, at this point, the 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 hope is to do get back together, but do it in a safe enough way. Yeah. But if you if we can even just break even on something, then some of our staff totally, you know, is actually getting some work, uh, and that, and 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 it's also you know helps helps you stay relevant. Yeah. Um, you know, we've been, you know, like there's been a lot of live streaming going on and everything like that. But, you know, the, the that's a conversation we're all having right now um, with within and among all of the different venues and groups of people that I work with is how can how can you do this? At what point is it actually doesn't make sense because you don't want to be a danger to the public. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we you know, we were tasked with, uh, you know, putting some measures into place that would make it a safe environment. Nothing's fail safe. Uh, but it's very interesting because I'll tell you just this one little, uh, little factoid, um, that, you know, there was, there was discussion about what is going on with, outdoor stuff in Chicago and say that, at, you know, at large, right. Yeah. In, the, in the macro sense. Um, and if you had asked a month ago, you'd have just been met with, you know, especially on the, the city side of things. Um, you know, we want no part of this whatsoever, but now what they have is they have some metrics that, if you know it's it's just so bizarre but the, they have metrics metrics that stem from having witnessed protests yeah. that gathered in a park to the tune of like 20,000 people yeah. 75% of whom at least were masked and they saw zero uptick you know so and the state and Illinois happens to be the one of the best if not you know it's definitely one of the best states in terms of keep keeping this trend going downwards yeah. so 
that's really interesting to hear. So now you're, you know, saying to yourself, if you put certain things in play, you know, the, the distancing and the masking and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the, all that stuff, you, if you really try and protect the public and your staff and all that stuff, um, can it be done where you don't shoot things back up? I mean, it's far from unknown, but we didn't have, you know, <laughs> before the pro before the protests started, I mean, everybody was saying it's just going to spin out of control and it didn't, but that might have a lot to do with the fact that the people who were protesting were actually following social distancing. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy, you know, that you'd <laughs> what, even have this metric. Know? Well, like, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, it, it's, it's such a strange time. Um, you couldn't have written this, right? No one, no, you couldn't have written this at all. Um, and 2020 is going to be the year that's, I actually think it, there's going to be a lot of positive that comes from this in the grand scheme of things. Um, let's, 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 let's talk about the protests and let's talk about the whole kind of movement in, in Chicago right now. And how, how is it at this moment in time from that? Cause I'm, I'm only seeing from the media and if I'm totally honest, I don't love the media in this whole kind of pandemic time. I think it's pretty, I think there's some, some, some parts of the media that are, are great. Um, but I also think majority of it is just not and pretty unhealthy. So what, what is it like on the ground there? So honestly, I was following along on my phone, uh, one of the first day of the protests and, and not even after it was after the protests and I was following around on my phone and I'm looking and I'm thinking like, I don't want to go outside. Like it looks like a fucking war zone outside. Like this is crazy. And then I literally like got up and went to go get my mail outside. And it's just like peaceful, calm, serene, like, like the media definitely hypes it up to a certain degree. And that's not to say that it wasn't, you know, a crazy time, but it made it seem like don't go outside, guard your windows. You know, this is going to happen. Like there's different things taking off on social media that are just not, true or hyped up to a degree that that is extreme um and that also like understanding that different neighborhoods different different people different groups but from like an organizational standpoint i mean it's been amazing to watch how people are coming together to actually fight social injustice i mean yeah uh one of the people that we work with actually just organized the parade one or uh protest one was that last weekend john two weekends ago that did like Two weeks ago, did about 35,000 people um, marching through the streets. So he's he's really shifted his attention. They're doing a Black Trans uh, Lives Matter march on Sunday. And with everything that's going on in the world from a COVID perspective, being able to shift his focus to really knowing how to promote and organize into something for social justice and something to really rally you know, taking his expertise and throwing events and organizing people and doing it for now, the most worthy cause has been super impressive. It really is quite remarkable, you know, and and, I mean, I'm going to throw his name out there, Don Brown. He's, uh, you know, a friend. He works right next to me, you know, like every week. And uh, he had already created this um, group called Activate Shy. So it was already around and it was primed to, you know, take on an issue like this when this came around. But the great, the success story about it was that 
huge numbers, like up to 30,000 people, not a single arrest didn't, you know, it's not like a whole bunch of people got sick and everything like that. And I think the thing to remember about stuff like this is it is never, and I mean, absolutely never that simple. And when you take the 24 hour news cycle, it, it thrives on, um, you know, feeding, you know, throwing out news bites that are meant for consumption on a very, (laughs) <laughs> like a, a very not complicated, you know, manner, you know, yeah. I mean, if, trying to, you, you understand what I'm saying. So, and totally, these are very yeah. complex issues. Yeah. Cause Even I, on like, oh God. Cause I think that's the thing, like obviously coming from the UK where the UK has its issues 100%. Um, and I'm not a pro if you know what I mean at, at any of these issues I've, <laughs> like been brought up in a insanely nice area i live in the middle of the countryside there's i literally no one lives next to me i can walk in the hills and i have no issues to then move into detroit to a very different neighborhood um where you hear gunshots left right and center and i know like south side chicago is pretty much exactly the same to the point where it's it's worlds apart from the the downtown kind of part and a lot of the suburbs and things like that i know we're not pros none of us are and i know none of us are claiming that but how do you fix that um it's funny because i've uh it's not i don't know funny is the right word but um i i'm i'm related to someone i have a cousin who is uh he, she, she directs a, an organization called the crime lab and, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a part of the university of Chicago that basically smashes numbers to come on studies that basically are all about social injustice and gun violence and all this yeah. kind of stuff. And, um, and you know, she's been working on this for like, de- like decades. And, and she said, you really have to approach it from all angles. Totally. It's not, yeah. it's not a gun thing. It's not, you know, it's social and it's like all this stuff. And if you don't really approach it, you know, and, and it's funny because she's, she's, you know, cause she used to work for the, the Joyce foundation and in in which was a funded the anti-gun lobby and all that kind of stuff. And, but now she's like, you know what? I bought a gun. I've, and she wanted to learn. She, and she knows um, like every single police commander in general she talks to them all it's and it's got and there's this crazy schism right now and media feeds a lot of it between you know you know the black lives matter and then police and then police brutality and then being pro-police and anti-police and all that kind of stuff and and she'll tell you like listen that you know it's it's really tough what's going on because the average cop who's out there is a good cop is yeah it is just you know the environment that they're walking into and then you have you know like this insane brutality that you keep seeing play over and over again and she'll she'll tell you anyway that you you need all hands on deck you know you you need the city you need you know like private you know companies funding stuff. you need the individual level you know and all that kind of stuff it's really daunting because it's it's you know what are you supposed to do it's it's really bad in chicago right now too and it's so sad because you know, the justice last weekend, I mean, it was like a hundred shooting. I mean, it was just, it's just out of control, you know? 
Yeah, because I, I think yes. that's, I think that's sorry, Joe. Go for it, Joe. No, 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 go for it. I think I think that's the thing for me is like I I wish I could have a magic wand and just fix it. Um I think ninety five percent of the population think that as well. And I think you're always gonna get people that don't want that and think that how we live today is fine and there's always change that needs to be made. Um, but the thing that amazes me the most in America, and obviously I'm not American, so I, I'm not, I'm not the best at talking about this and I'm not the best at talking about it in the UK. I'm fucking, I know nothing really at the end of the day, but I think it's crazy that 20, 30 minutes down the road, people are living in obscene pop- poverty and then 20 minutes up the road, you've got people in multi-million pound mansions that it just, that just doesn't make sense to me. And for me, the, I, the only way I can see that to be fixed is education. Yeah. But education, like fair education, um, because I know in the, in the UK, we don't have it perfect at all, but our education system is pretty, pretty good. Um, and we don't get me wrong. We have poor areas and we have poor neighborhoods. Um, and the education could probably 100% be better in all, in all neighborhoods, 100%. But I just think this, that's the one thing that I noticed going to Detroit is that like schools were getting shut down and kids can't even go to school or like, teachers are having to pay for like things to, to teach the kids. And you're just like, this is, you're in America. Like just, just the amount of money they make on taxes. Come on. I like, it just doesn't make sense. And then you, you kind of learn about the whole situation and like how certain areas are getting more money because of property taxes and things like that. And you're just like, this is, this is something so, this is something that's so easily fixed, but just doesn't get fixed. And I don't yeah. get it. I was going to say that the biggest thing in Chicago is what they call like redlining, which is exactly what you were talking about, where, you know, the, the people in power have organized the neighborhoods so that certain property taxes go to certain schools yeah. and they usually yeah. like offset it. So the, the poor communities like they're pro- they don't have that property tax to invest within the school. Yeah. So to your point yeah. of like education being in the way that Chicago is mapped, like it is probably one of the most segregated cities in Definitely. the U S yeah. um, to where, you know, in the areas in which the, the crazy amount of property tax is funding the education system, the communities that don't have that then are closing schools. And now they're they're It's just, from the bottom up, just a totally fucked system. Yeah. Like there's no way to lift yourself up from the bootstraps and like pull yourself up to yeah. make something out of yourself. when like, you don't even have a chance from the start. Like you're never on that equal playing field. Well, I think that's the thing for me as well, is that moving to Detroit and I, I didn't re- ever really kind of, I knew that it happened in, a, in the world but moving to Detroit and I was like, this is super sad. There's the kids that don't even leave the block. 
if you know what yeah. I mean, they grow up on and like it's it's how i just it just doesn't make sense it, it's something that i'm just like i don't don't know how to fix it i'd love to fix it but it's like it also comes to a point where i think you mentioned it john is like it's a factors of so many things and it's a factors of what can we do as people in our communities and i think that's kind of where it has to start in the communities because it's definitely not coming from the top and I don't think it will come from the top for a very long time, especially if Trump carries on getting in and even if Biden gets in, let's be honest, like as much as nobody wants Trump to stay in or majority of people don't want Trump to stay in, in, in our community, let's be honest, I don't think Biden's probably the best person as well in the grand scheme of things. Um, but I just, it's just that for a country that has so much power in the world and is very easily ha- has a lot of influence on the world yet it still ha- has very old systems to help people and it just it I, I don't know how do you guys feel about it i especially over the past couple of months there's a shift from at least personally where it's like not being racist was enough, you know, okay. I personally, I'll be like not racist and thinking that was enough, you know, Yeah. but you have to shift now to, to being almost anti-racist where it's from a personal individual level. What are you doing to help bring equality to those that don't have it? Like either to your point, whether it's in your own personal community, whether it's literally just, you know, if you, People can't give money, but it's getting involved, getting active and, and not just being not racist, but being anti-racist to the point where you're helping lift up the other people who don't have that equal chance. Yeah. I think that's been like a, a shift in my own personal thinking over the past, you know, month or however long since this has really came to the forefront. Yeah, exactly. It's a, like you said, it's community organization. I mean, that's the only thing, you know, on our level that you can do at this point, you know, it's, I mean, we, it's, it, 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 like I said, it's so big and daunting and complex. Uh, some of these issues that um, it's easy just to be like, yeah, you know, fuck it. But, um, yeah. you know, it's funny because, because I work with a guy, um, you know, Anthony mostly who has his own, theater group and it's like a nonprofit organization that produces theater around social justice issues and whatnot. And we work together on a, a bunch of pilot projects uh, to raise awareness and stuff. And, and, you know, in the grand scheme of things, these efforts are really, you know, they're, you know, they, they're like not even a drop on the ocean, Yeah. but I don't think that means that you shouldn't like try and do something. I mean, it's, you know what I mean? It's, it's the drop in the ocean, but what is that ripple going to lead to right. you know, for every individual? If you feel like you're not doing enough or if you're not doing anything, you know, what is that drop in the bucket that's going to create that ripple effect that will, you know, change those around you. And I'll tell you this from an artist perspective, um, I have to give kudos to Lee Foss who signed on to the project from the very beginning because he was, um, you know, he felt that there was something he could contribute and he did, you know, um, you know, we, we produced three of these events and we'll get back to it as soon as we can all get together again. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's 
cool to see artists that feel strongly about something actually do it as well. So, yeah. so Mr. Clark, <laughs> we'll get, we'll drag you into one of these. <laughs> I'm down. I'm down to help. It's, it's been a strange time for me, like social media wise as well though. Cause I bet. it's like, I see so many people just shouting and telling you what you should be doing and what you should be saying. And I'm really, I'm not really that type of person um, where like, I, I don't want to tell people that they should be doing this and they should be doing that. I don't think it's healthy. Um, And I think without going, you kind of got to be careful what I say, but it's like cancel culture has got real and it's got, even realer now where I've seen people trying to do the right thing and trying to say the right thing and trying to give the right message yet their wording was a couple of words out and they've just been destroyed online. And I think it's, it's, I think it's really dangerous because I think we're all trying to get that same, we're all trying to get there if you know what I mean. And I think some people get this a bit slower than others. And I think some people do it differently and we we all, we all kind of want to talk differently. We all want to action differently. And I think it's kind of one of the reasons why I haven't been super vocal. I've said what I needed to say and kind of just stayed, stayed back on the peripheries and kind of watched and, and just to see what everyone else is saying. It's not, it's something that's so that needs to be talked about, especially in our industry is massively. I think black, black culture is, is the reason why we are here, right? It's it's from the conversation earlier. It's the reason why we're here. Um, I just want to, I want to do that respectfully as well. And I want, I want people to do it nicely and, to rather than call people out online and kind of put them to judge Judy on Twitter or Instagram is like call them up and ha- have a conversation like this. If you know what yeah. I mean, like we probably might not all agree on something, but because we're having a long form conversation that this is the situation that you can talk it out and you can kind of come to it. But I also think it's weird because we're all allowed our own opinion. But if your opinion, how it feels to me, and I could be wrong, but if your opinion isn't what somebody else thinks, then you're wrong. I agree with you. Yeah. So I think it's a little bit, it's, it's taking that thought though and twisting it too, where if you have an opinion and you're not willing to learn and then admit that, you know, oh, after speaking with you, my opinion has changed. Because a lot of people, like, it's super defensive when you challenge somebody's opinion. Totally. And, and it's like, it's, it's if, you're, if you're broadcasting an opinion that's not being willed will to change based on what you've learned, then you're pushing your opinion as a fact. You know? Right. Yeah. So you it's know like what I, double-edged. I would also suggest this um, about what you're originally saying. I... I and then I'm going to throw it back to you, Joe, but because 
saying people, the challenge of social media is really that you're, you know, for the most part, you're uh, vocalizing in sound bites. Very, you're trying. You, yeah. If you take something that complex and try and simplify it into yeah. a post, and then put it out there in a world where it just gets amplified so quickly and goes viral so fast, um, things I've seen things just get really nasty, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, I like to actually hear Joe what you think about the right way to express yourself on social media because that's that's a minefield if you're not careful, you know. <laughs> Yeah. So in my nine to five, I work with uh, like corporate brands doing like social media and marketing and uh, the two things. And I think it, it relates really to everybody, but at a certain point, just shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like, I don't know if you've seen Dave Chappelle's uh, new special on Netflix right. and no. he talks about, Oh, it's so good. He talks about like, at, as all this was going on, he was watching CNN and the guy in CNN was asking like, what is, what are, why aren't these celebrities speaking out? Yeah. And it's like, at the end of the day, like the streets are speaking loud enough on their own. Yeah. You know, they don't need me out there championing a cause that has 35,000 people strong. Yeah. You know, so that, that is the one thing is, and especially too, like, if you don't like, like you're not required to speak on something. Whether it when it, and it's it's the struggle though between giving your audience the voice to let them know, hey, you guys should also be thinking about this at least. Maybe not necessarily, you know, having the same opinion as I. But see, this is this is the thing for me, and it's kind of controversial, and I'm sure you've probably both seen it. And it's people saying, if you're silent, you're part of the cause, mm-hmm. and I agree with that if you're completely silent. But just because you haven't posted something on social media, and to be fair, I have. I'm just talking for other people, but, and my feelings on it. If you haven't posted something on your social media, it doesn't mean you're silent. Just because everybody can't see it, doesn't mean you're not having the conversations with your family at the dinner table. You're not having the conversations with your mates. I've had plenty of talks with my friends that just, that have zero idea what the hell's going on, if you know what I mean. And you can't blame that. You can't blame anyone. I'm not the first person to say I know everything, but I just don't, I totally agree with the, the, the thing is, um, that sometimes you just do have to shut the fuck up and listen. Yeah. You know, the, here's the thing for me, because I didn't grow up with a cell phone in my hand, you know? Um, Uh-oh, Papa Curly coming Papa back Curly. out. <laughs> no, I, I, listen, I'm, there's there's upsides and downsides to that. But I since I'm not super comfortable, just I don't speak uh, like everything that's on my mind. is. It, I don't think it's – it never occurred to me to, to just go right to, to any kind of social media platform with it that I believe that – Really, it's your actions that speak louder than your words at some point or another. Um, And you can be vocal by doing things. So um, that's not being silenced at all, you know, and and then, you know, and, and, and long before, you know, this all this came up. I mean, this has been an issue for a while. The, you know, the the violence and, you know, and the all this stuff is this this wasn't born with george floyd no it, it goes i mean i was i mean i was around during you know the rodney king stuff and yeah LA um too. it so the 
so the bottom line is like, what can you do? You know, like it just, you, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that at least for me and, and it's personally personal for everybody that the going to your news feed and throwing shit out there is always, maybe, you know, maybe you have other ways to, to express those same things, you know? Yeah. I think, I think what it is, is for me on that is just, you, you've hit the nail on the head really, but it's just about actually respecting other people that just because they're saying something you don't agree with, it doesn't mean they're wrong and it doesn't mean you're right. Um, and, but I also think social media just doesn't allow you to have that conversation. Um, it doesn't allow you, you're just putting statements out there. Right. Wow. Fuck knows what's going on, people. Fuck knows. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think uh, Dwayne Johnson should be pri- pri- uh, the president. That's that's what Fuck I think. Some, I think John Curley for president. I'm into that one. <laughs> no way. Not in a million years. <laughs> you know, they'd have it so much dirt. It'd be so funny just to see that nomination and then all the photos coming up. <laughs> yeah, yeah imagine the memes. <laughs> imagine the memes from like Funky Bunches. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so man. do you obviously you guys don't know what you're doing with regards to parties but do you have any like plans for the future or are you still just taking it day by day and just hoping for the best i wouldn't say that we don't know anything about doing parties um i think that i can i don't know if this is a prevailing attitude i mean a lot a lot of businesses are thriving in this um but those would be the business with big outdoor patios and stuff. Yeah. This is like specifically like ours. Um, and I'm, you know, listen, you're in the same, you know, you're in the same boat to a certain extent. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, I haven't stopped planning and doing things. I just plan stuff. You basically you plan for the best, but you brace for the worst. So yeah. it's the worst case scenario. Okay. So, all the stuff I have planned in the fall gets pushed into the spring. You know, I mean, obviously that can't go on forever, but yeah. um, you know, we're just kind of like trucking along, hoping for the best, you know, and, and I have a calendar. It's full of events, uh, not much in the immediate future in yeah. the midterm, like it starts to pick back up in 2021, you know, like packed, let, let's hope because, you know, I didn't, by the way, I didn't realize that you were back in the UK. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was talking to the guy since things are just start, starting to open up. I'm like, yeah, we can get Will to come down here. No problem. <laughs> I'm like, fuck. Oh, man. Not, well, he's going to have to be. We're going to have to wait. But, you know, it's and, you know, one, one of the strategies, at least for the time being, is to, you know, like book domestically. There's a lot totally. of great talent right here in the city. There's yeah, great. There's talent uh, in the region, the Midwest. And, you know, it's not that far away. If you just hop on an airplane from LA, it's really the overseas stuff. It's you guys that's going to take the longest because not only, you know, just the distance, uh, it's also all, it, all these countries and like the EU and everything are kind of on their own time clock yeah. in terms of what they're doing and when you can do stuff. And so it, I, I think that it's just, it's not going to, go from zero to 60 it's going to open up and in, in phases it's going to be and you know it went was a devolution you know it devolved and now it's going to slowly back kind of, yeah slowly but surely 
let's but yeah let's, we're planning stuff that's good that's good to hear i think that's positive and i i've got a good feeling the fall's gonna be good I've, i'm kind of hoping not necessarily for me it's just for the clubs i i really don't want to see anyone close down I really don't yeah. want. To, I really don't want to be like, oh, why aren't we going to this city? And it's like, well, the club's closed down. I really don't want to be in that situation. So hopefully, fingers crossed, everyone's good. I know you guys will be good. We we whatever we can do, we we make sure that you guys are good. Um, and if there's anything I can do, just let me know. One hundred percent. Thanks, my man. I, um, get yourself back here. I the minute I can I will jump on a plane and I will play in Chicago 100%. We I actually had a conversation, you know Jen Line from uh New York. Do you know Jen Line? Red Red Mean Red? Oh. Yeah. I I, I don't I know of yeah, yeah. I don't know. So we do a few parties together in Detroit and she just hit me up and was like, "Look, we're planning on doing some stuff in August." Um and I was like, oh, "It might be a little bit too soon for me." As much as I'd love to, I'd want to kind of, especially in Detroit, I kind of want to make sure that everything's safe and sound um, before we kind of start putting parties together. But the minute the minute we can, I'm back. I'm back doing parties and can't wait. Be good. Yeah, you know, there's. It's interesting. Uh, what I've noticed is, uh, not every artist, you know, all. all artists have different like approaches to it. Some artists totally. are like, oh, okay. And, and I'm sure it could be in part generational as well. Like, um, but regardless, some guys are like, yeah, I can wait. And some guys are like, you know, wearing to get back. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that will play out in, in, you know, in correlation with that. And uh, I also think it's interesting that certain agents have told me like they, they would in these, at least in these early days, um, they, they basically request that you give them a rundown of everything that you're doing at whatever venues to protect the, the artists and protect the people that are going, the patrons and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And it's the sort of thing that we have to have in place anyway, you know, if we're going to open yeah. it, when we open, you know, so, but I think that artists that, you know, there are a range of different attitudes that, with regard to the coronavirus, uh, depending on who you talk to. Totally. I think, I think with talking through conversations with my team and stuff like that, it just goes back to that liability thing. It's just not putting anyone at risk. And I know my agents are kind of like, we don't really want to put anyone out until we know a little bit more. Um, right. Which sucks for everyone at the end of the day. Yeah. It's, it, everyone kind of, loses out of that but i th i think we would be good um we 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 bought we 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 built this from a struggle right everyone from the from the ground up struggled in the music industry and you don't do it just to earn money obviously it is a business and everyone has to earn money um but for, i can only speak for myself but the main reason why i do it is because we i absolutely fucking love it um yeah. And it yeah. will come back at the end of the day. It, it will come back. Um, it's just how and when. Um, I know in Colorado they put a party on outside. Um, Brennan, option four, did a party the other night. I love Brennan. Yeah, I love that guy. Had him on the podcast. He's just. We had to record two podcasts because the first one he did was like he was too stoned. 
<laughs> and he literally was just like, I don't even know what he spoke about. He literally didn't breathe. Like he didn't come up for air for like 45 <laughs> minutes. Just kept on talking about utter shit. Um, so great. that one got deleted. Well, it didn't get deleted actually. It's still on my hard drive. Might have to release it. Yeah. So guys, let's, uh, let's wrap this one up. Huge. Thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, let me know when you guys are planning anything. Um, if you need any support with social, social media or anything like that, I'm more than happy to help. And how can people that haven't heard of you guys follow you? What's your socials and everything like that? Well, where to start? Um, so my company is Paradigm Presents. And uh, Joe, what's our socials? Handles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at paradigm presents across all platforms uh that's also dj john curly on instagram and i think any other social channels that he's on mine is at joe calderon uh also follow at spy bar we got a lot of them cool yeah at spy bar is radius chicago i mean there's a bunch from prism nightclub live streams on twitch every week every saturday and thursday got a lot going on go check them out people I appreciate it. Thanks for the shout and thanks for inviting us. It's always a pleasure. Anytime. Thank you very much. And I'll catch you very soon, hopefully. Thanks, Will. Take care, my man. So that is a wrap of this week's podcast. Hope you really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed that one. It was a good good talk from some some light conversation to some deeper conversations. If you enjoyed it as well, please, please, could you go share it with your mates or your mum or your gran or whoever you think will want to hear it. Um, and if you could hit the review button, uh, I'd love you forever. Keep safe and I'll speak to you next time.